All right, so we're, again, we're looking at uh, 2 Peter. We're covering a whole chapter this morning. Uh, so we're going to look at 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, we'll read that together. God's Word uh, says this. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. That's important right there. That's the purpose statement of Peter for this section and probably for this, this whole letter. I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by this, by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged or flooded with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance." But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens, and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. (laughs) There are some things, this is interesting, in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But hear this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. The year was uh, 1995. I was in middle school at the time. I believe I was in eighth grade. Uh, my dad came to my middle school it was a Friday afternoon and picked me up early to head down to the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, the home of the USC Trojans, boo, uh, for a massive men's event called Promise Keepers. You guys remember Promise Keepers? Now, I'm going to be honest, I can't remember a single word that was preached at that event. I can't remember the men that spoke at it. And yet, thinking about that event, that two-day event in Los Angeles, still stirs me up. It stirs up my emotion and my love for Jesus. Two things stand out to me, thinking back upon this, this event. Number one was this. 
The deafening praise and and worship of 70,000 Christian men singing with hands lifted high. I think it was just a small glimpse of what Peter refers to here as new heavens and new earth, praising God. The second thing that sticks out to me and, and really the overwhelming memory that still stirs me up to love Jesus is this, uh, the second day on Saturday, all the, the teenage boys, so like I said, I was in middle school at the time, we, we were kind of ushered out of the Coliseum, which is this big, massive football stadium, uh, and we were taken to the sports arena. The sports arena doesn't exist anymore in Los Angeles. It was a basketball arena. I think the Clippers played there at some point. That's why it doesn't exist, because they always stunk. The Lakers were way better. Anyways, so... The, uh, we, we go into the sports arena, all the, all the boys, and we kind of go through a youth rally, and we're fired up, and at the end of the day, they bring us back over to the Coliseum, and they usher us down into this tunnel uh, that runs underneath uh, the bleachers, and we're lined up in there, and we can hear the murmur of the men, our fathers, out in the stadium uh, starting, and the cheers are starting to kind of build up. And there was somebody in the front of the line, and he said, you guys run, run on the field. And we all ran out there together. All of us teenage boys came running out of that tunnel onto the, the USC Trojans football field with 70,000 of our fathers screaming and yelling and praising uh, us and cheering us on as we came out. It still gives me chills to this day, running out of that same tunnel that the Trojans did onto that football field, and just this, this deafening a celebration of our fathers up in the stands. It kind of gives me a picture of what Peter's giving us here as he stirs up the church to keep going, right? Keep going. That, that deafening celebration of the saints that have gone before us, stirring us on to, to keep, keep going, keep moving forward. And today we look at this. The name of this sermon is Promise Keeper. We look at our great promise keeper from Scripture who is God made known through the person and work of Jesus and how remembering the gospel, that is the good news about Jesus and looking forward to his second coming. We're going to talk about his second coming a lot this morning, stirs us to right living. This is our main idea for this morning. The main idea is this, the sure promise of Christ's second coming stirs us up right now, right in this present time to right living, transformed Living. Peter bookends the passage in this way. We'll go the first couple verses and then we'll kind of skip to the end. He says this, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you. Beloved, I want to pause there. He uses that word beloved to the churches. These are churches that he's writing to as if this word of friends or family, brothers or sisters is a word of affection. Beloved, in both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind. Now the original word used there uh, in the Greek for sincere mind brings uh, actually to light this, this picture of our, our, our minds being enlightened by a truth. It reminds me a little bit of, you used to watch cartoons, and when the cartoon character would finally get it, there would be what? A light bulb that went on over the top of their head. Think of that. So he's stirring up your sincere mind by way of, here's this word, reminder, that you should remember. Okay, Whenever a passage uses a word repeatedly, you should pay attention to it. You should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Therefore, beloved, this is the other bookend, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, and I love this, and at peace. These bookends 
now launch us into four points of teaching for this morning. Our first point is this. We see in this passage God's word of remembrance. Right? Peter keeps saying, I want to remind you. I want you to remember. I'm going to reiterate to you. Beloved, right? He says, friends, my family, my brothers, sisters. He says, referring to the letters, both First uh, Peter, I believe, and Second Peter. In both of them, his purpose is to stir up your sincere, your enlightened mind by way of what? Reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets. I would assert this, that he's referring to the Old Testament. When he refers to the prophets, he's refer, uh, Peter's referring to the Old Testament. And this is beautiful, the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, the New Testament. And even in this section, you'll notice... Uh, Later in this section, he refers to the Apostle Paul. And he speaks to his writings being Scripture. And so I want you to think back. Hopefully you've been with us all throughout this series. Think back to week one. If we remember back to week one, you'll remember that Peter is nearing, the context of this letter is he's nearing the end of his life. And so in a sense, this is kind of his farewell address to the church, final wishes, a final stirring for the brothers and sisters, his beloved that he loves so much to continue on and to resist false teaching. What then are we remembering? He said, I want you to be reminded, remember. The answer is this. This is what he wants us to remember. He wants us to remember the promises kept and the promises made. The promises kept by Jesus and the promises made by Jesus because there's promises still to come. Jesus is a promise keeper. He's the great promise keeper. He is the only one to predict his death and resurrection and accomplish both. Let me say it again for you in the back. He's the only one to predict, predict his death and resurrection and he accomplished both. You may think, you may be skeptical here this morning about Christ. You may think that his resurrection or the story of Jesus is just a myth, a fairy tale. Uh, When I was little, when I told an exaggerated story, my dad would look at me and he'd go, Keith, that's bologna sauce. (laughs) But this is the truth I declare to you. And that, my beloved church... I pray stirs you up to hold fast to the truth in the face of a scoffing world. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He rose from the dead and appeared to Cephas, another name for Peter who wrote this letter. And then he appeared to the rest of the apostles and then to hundreds, his word says, and then to his family and then to Paul on the road to Damascus. If you doubt the resurrection that we are called to remember, the promise that was kept by Jesus when he declared that he would die and rise again from the dead in three days, when he declared, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. See, you have to understand this truth. Our faith hinges on the resurrection. It's meaningless if Christ was not raised from the dead, but indeed he has been raised. If you struggle with doubt, remember these four truths. The first truth is this, that Jesus did indeed die bodily and was buried in a tomb with a heavy rock rolled across. He didn't just faint. He didn't fall asleep. Jesus was dead, dead. 
The second point I want you to remember is that the tomb was actually found empty on the third day by a group of women. Why do I note that fact? Because in a patriarchal society, as was at this time, the testimony of women was was not uh, acceptable, and yet the scriptures utilize the testimony of those very women. It includes it in scripture that they saw Jesus first. The third thing, beyond appearing to these women, he appeared to many, many others after his death. So it wasn't just some sort of mass hallucination. They saw Jesus bodily resurrected. The fourth point I want you to take away, and I think this is actually the most important The early church believed Jesus resurrected and it radically changed their lives. Show me what you believe by how you live, right? That's what the early church showed us is that they were convinced because many in the early church, Scripture talks about these, like, hey, go talk to them. They saw Jesus. They had seen with their own eyes this man that had died on the cross, went in the grave, and then was raised from the dead. The man that penned this letter, in fact, Peter, went from this. He went from being a denying coward to a bold proclaimer of the truth after personally witnessing the resurrected Jesus. Who would go through all the hurt, pain, shame, and death for a lie? No one would. And we're not talking about just one man, Peter, that went through that. Most all of Jesus' followers, his closest followers, were martyred for their faith because they believed what? That they saw Jesus raised from the dead. Remember the promise kept by Jesus in death and resurrection. And we can, this is the hinge of the resurrection. This is why it's so important among many things is that he kept that promise so we can be certain that he keeps all of his promises. And he he made a big promise when he ascended to heaven that he's coming back. And if that's not enough evidence to stir you up, Peter here points to, to two other things. I would say joined in one, the word of God. He points to the holy prophets, the Old Testament, in the teachings of the apostles, the New Testament, Peter appoints to the authority of the Bible, the Word of God. Long before, and here's, here's the truth, we, we hear kind of the naysayers say, well, yeah, but a bunch of people got together hundreds of years later and put all these books together, and they determined that that was the inerrant Word of God. But that's simply not the truth. That's just one part of the story. See, the reality is here, we have evidence here, that Peter already saw the Bible as authoritative. He's quoting a letter that he wrote. He's quoting the the teachings of the apostles. He's quoting and alluding to the Old Testament. And he's talking about Paul's writings that he has a hard time understanding. The truth of the matter is, if you study church history, the, the early church had already adopted the stance that these were special letters, that they were inspired by the Spirit of God, that they were true to everything that they spoke about, and they still are. Again, in the face of scoffing and persecution, with nothing to gain, 
in worldly power or riches other than to face death for following the Son of God, the church believed that what they had in, in the Holy Prophets, that is the Old Testament, and the commands of the Savior through the apostles, what we know as the New Testament, is the very Word of God that does this, upholds the promises of God. This church is, is a powerful remembrance and I would say an apologetic for the certainty of the gospel. Again, the gospel is the good news about Jesus and the certainty of the authority of the Bible. Here's just an example of the predictions of the holy prophets from Jeremiah 23.5. Speaking of Jesus who fulfilled all that the prophet said and is going to complete them, consummate them on his second coming. Jeremiah says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. What line did Jesus come from? David. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. The word of God speaking of Jesus beforehand. Point two, we see in this passage God's word of warning. God's word of warning. The second Peter, I mean, throughout the weeks we've traveled through this letter, it's been heavy at times. It's going to get a little heavy right here. Peter's going to give us a dose of truth. Okay, regardless of what uh, the prosperity teachers preach out there, the Christian life on this earth, in this present age and time, will not necessarily be easy. We can expect the same treatment as Jesus we should expect this to be scoffed at and to be mocked. Peter, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says this, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, right? Pull your checklist out. Okay, check. Following their own sinful desires. Check. They will say, Where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Basically, they're saying, hey, Jesus died and supposedly resurrected, but everything's just the same. Nothing's changed. They deny uh, Christ's promise, Jesus' promise. They deny then his second coming. And from this denial, they encouraged, as we found in, in the previous chapters, Christians to just live as they want it. Just do whatever you want without restraint. But Peter goes on. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and through water, hear this, by the word of God. God created everything from nothing. And that by means of these, the, the world that then existed was deluged, which means flooded with water, and it perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Peter here, he rounds out the, the end of his warning to remember, right? These are reminders, remembrances. Rounds out his warning to remember not only the death and resurrection of Jesus as a certainty of the promise of the second coming, but also to remember the days of creation. He goes all the way back to the beginning. When God in his creative agency spoke all things into existence, and then also in his justice and righteousness, he alludes to, he recalls, as we preached on a few weeks ago, uh, the flood in Noah's time. When in, in his justice and righteousness, he judged all men through a powerful flood that destroyed all of humanity except for Noah 
and his family. Peter then, right, he keeps, he keeps reminding us. Peter then draws from this remembrance, right? Okay, God worked in that way. The reality that the same thing will occur when, when Jesus returns and his second coming is one of judgment. Except it will not be water that destroys. He says here it's kind of scary that it'll be fire that destroys the ungodly. God's word is very clear. And the clear teaching from the section is, is this. We will be mocked or scoffed at for our faith, for our beliefs. And the truth is, as revealed here, is that God will deal with these mockers and these scoffers. But the passage just turns in these beautiful words. We see that hope, mercy, and grace are still available. It's our third point. We see in this passage God's Patience, plan, and promise. God's patience, plan, and promise. Okay, I want to I tell you, this, this is directed at those who are, are in unbelief. Maybe you just reject Christ outright or you're, you're skeptical of Christianity and its claims. I, I want to tell you this morning, there's still time. There's still time. Christ has yet to return. You're still breathing. You're still alive. There's still time for you to make the right choice. The mercy and grace of God are still available to this, to those who will humble themselves and call upon the Lord. For those, as Jesus said, who will repent and believe upon Him. Calling upon Him as Lord and Savior. 2 Peter 3, 8-13 says, But do not overlook this one fact. Beloved, right? Friends. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. I hate to break it to you this morning, but God doesn't work on our timeline. He works on his timeline. I've struggled with that at times, if I'm honest. The Lord, it says, the Bible says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Thank you, Jesus. Not wishing that any should perish. I love this, but that all should reach repentance. This family is the heart of God, the love of Christ. Then there's a but in there. But. Right? Things turn. Like you're watching a movie and everything seems like it's going okay and then you hear like the piano in the background goes dun, dun, dun. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. What does that mean? Suddenly. Unexpected. My truck got broken into about a year ago. It just was happened to be the one night that I didn't lock it, right? Someone went out there and was rifling through the glove box, blamed my kids, wasn't them. Did I expect that to happen that night? Does anybody ever expect that the thief is going to come through the door? No, it's unexpected and it's sudden. That's the warning here that should jar us, skeptic, unbeliever, It should jar you when I say, but. 
but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, suddenly, unexpectedly. You may be thinking, I'm just biding my time, and at the right time, I'll repent. You never know. Peter says, and then, and then the heavens will pass away with, with a roar, okay? It's not going to be a secret. Everybody's going to know when Christ comes back. And the heavenly bodies, okay, I want you to think when he says heavenly bodies here, we'll get into this a little bit when I explain this section. Think of kind of like the elemental building blocks, the basis of life will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed, will be made known since all these things are thus to be dissolved. What? So he says now, because of this, this is the implications. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening, what does hastening mean? Doing something, uh, hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. I love this part. But according to his, here's the word, promise. We are waiting for new heavens and a new earth. Hear this, in which righteousness dwells. Amen. We see Peter's pastoral heart on display here, right? Just with the word beloved, friends, brothers, sisters, listen, okay? The Lord doesn't work according to our timeline, our plans, our demands for justice against the scoffers. But he patiently goes about his plan, which actually reveals a key truth for us about God, that, that God does in, indeed intervene into his creation, okay? He's not just chilling on the lazy boy, popping popcorn, just seeing, like, I wonder what's going to happen next. God is involved. That's the truth. Peter's telling us about our great God who does indeed involve himself in history. What does that mean to us? He hears our cries and our prayers. He acts according to his, his great purpose and will. He is involved. And, and it says one of the things that he desires, a desire of the Lord is that all would repent and call upon his name. Here's a challenge for us. Should we not have that same desire? Peter gives us a further glimpse that fire is coming to, to burn away the heavenly bodies. The, the Bible says perhaps, I, I think a better translation of that Greek word there is the elemental building blocks, the basis of life, the basic blocks of creation in life. God will burn those away, refine them, and bring about, he says at the end of this section, new heavens and new earth. And this church is the point of it all. Okay, our faith is not just some ticket to go to heaven to, to float around on clouds, but is ushering in new heavens and new earth where Peter says righteousness dwells. The point is not some disembodied experience floating on cosmic clouds in the sky. The point of it all is that God's majesty and glory will be on full display when he completes his work and makes, hear this, all things new a place, again, where righteousness dwells. Hear this. A place, imagine, where darkness has nowhere to hide and to lurk. A place of inexplainable joy, peace, and delight. A place where pain and hurt, hear this, and cancer 
and emotional stress and depression can no longer reach a place where our tears are wiped away, a place where death is no more. It's God's plan. Because of this, so what do we do? God's people are called then to live transformed lives. We're called to live transformed lives. I'm going to connect a few verses here together, 11, 14, 17 to 18. We're not getting into Paul's stuff this morning. Peter says this, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Therefore, right, we've learned that word a number of times because of everything I've talked to you about. Therefore, beloved, there's that word again, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. I love this next phrase, and at peace. Says something about the way we should act and feel, and at peace. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, right? This isn't a surprise. Take care that you're not carried away with air, with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability, right? Think of like a foundation shaking. But do this. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I want to summarize transformed living in this way. Because of all this, we live transformed lives as followers of Jesus. It reminded me of of a time when the religious teachers were challenging Jesus. They were trying to kind of bait him into a question that he couldn't explain or understand. Jesus knows everything. They challenged Jesus, asking him, they, they said, what is the greatest commandment? He responded, He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he goes, hey, wait a second. I got another one for you. It's for free, okay? He says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. How do we live transformed lives as followers of Jesus? We look at what Jesus says the greatest commandment is. How are we to be, as Peter says, found by him without spot or blemish and at peace? Simply put, we want to make it really complicated. Simply put, we do this. We love God and we love others. We love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. Here's the thing. We can say that we do that, but we express, we show that in reality, about and how we treat other people. That's why these two are so connected together. I think First John talks about that. Like, how can I, how can I say that I that I love God when I I don't help my brother or sister? Love God, love others. This goes right into our homes. Like, love your neighbor as yourself. Think about your home. When I'm doing marital counseling with a with a couple, especially like premarital counseling, they're getting ready to get married, like who's the closest neighbor that you have? It's going to be your spouse. And sometimes that can be the most challenging relationship in your life. 
They see, every, they see all the ugliness in your life. The door's closed. They see everything. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love your kids. Love your actual neighbor that's next door to you. Love the scoffers and the mockers who mock your faith and mock Jesus. We love them. Paul would say it this way. Romans 12, 1 to 2. I got to talk about this for a second. The, so Romans is awesome. I want to, like every Christian should read Romans at least once a year. And, and the way Romans is set up, Paul always does this. It's cool. He, he basically, he gives you a lot of like doctrinal truth up front. And you may say, oh, that's boring, but it's beautiful. In Romans, it's beautiful because it talks about our sin and our shame and, and what we bring, nothing. And it makes much of Jesus, shows the grace of God. And after Paul makes much of Christ, he comes to chapter 12, which is a pivot in the letter. He says, because of all that Jesus has done, I appeal to you, therefore, right? That word is there again. Because of everything I've talked about for 11 chapters, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He simply puts it this way. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. That sounds like transformed Christian living to me. May we be living sacrifices unto the Lord our God, being stirred up by the sure promises of Christ. Second coming, that's what we look forward to. And we can be certain of that. Why? Because Christ raised from the dead. We're stirred up by the sure promises of his second coming and the renewal of all things, holding fast to the great promise keeper. But we don't do, we don't live our lives as idle beings, just kind of, we're going to lock ourselves in this building. We're going to keep the bad world out there and we're just going to commune together in here. Rather, we do it through sharing the beautiful promises of the gospel that is the good news about Jesus to the very scoffers who deny him. Loving others, right? And living such godly lives that the onlooking world asks, they just say, why are you that way? Why do you do that? And then we are able to tell them of the great patience and love of God. We do this as we honor, serve, and glorify Jesus until the great promise of his second coming is fulfilled. Until the voice of the angels cry out, the sound of the trumpet plays out, and the cry of the command comes forth, and we are caught up with our Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen.